Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. It is Tuesday, Tuesday, November 30th. In this episode, Mike is out again. He was in Michigan. United finally have their man. Draw Chelsea. City playing the snow. Arsenal are tarp four. And there are more games to come. Wow e wow. First, I am gonna change it up and just go quickly through the scores. On Saturday, Arsenal won 2-0 at Newcastle. Not new because Arsenal always beat Newcastle. They've won 17 straight. Aston Villa, a second win in a row under our friend Mr. Gerard. Um Crystal Palace were okay, but Villa pulled this one out, scoring a goal early. Then, Liverpool smash Southampton. I will say this. Liverpool are the best team in the world with Jota in front instead of Firmino. They are favorites to win the league. Oh, our friend Dean Smith got a draw versus Wolves. Wolves were terrible in this at Carroll Road. Wolves had the their better chances. And to end Saturday, we had Brighton nil, Leeds nil. Uh, two of my favorites going against each other. The Brighton fans boo. How dare they boo Graham Potter after the nil-nil. Brighton should have won this game. No problem. Then on Sunday, 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 with inclement weather up and down England, Brentford defeat Everton. Everton are in trouble along with Rafa Benitez. They are not doing well. Then Leicester get off the schneid, even though Watford were pretty good, and win 4-2. They needed that game badly. In turf more, Burnley and Tottenham snowed out. Snowed out. So no time, but gives uh, Conte more time to practice. And down the road, Manchester City defeat West Ham in a game of two halves. One half filled with snow and you couldn't see the ball. And the second half, uh, a man-of-the-match performance by the ground crew at the Etihad. City win in their methodical way, 2-1. to one. And finally, 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 in the last game of the day to end match week 13, Chelsea won, Manchester United won. And that's where we will begin the show. Manchester United in this game, battling for their lives. They drop Cristiano Ronaldo in an unprecedented moment that creates controversy around the world. Oh my God, you can't drop Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, but Carrick is his own man. He does what he wants. Uh, the back line of Bailly and Lindelof were weak. And I think Carrick thought he needed to have three defensive midfielders. He goes with Fred. He goes with McFred and Matic behind Fernandez and Rashford. And United decide we can't play football. We've got no chance against the, the Chelsea uh, attack machine that Tuchel's got going on. Uh, Chelsea have their own problems. No Conte, Ruben Loftus-Cheekin. No, um, no Lukaku. They've got Callum Hudson-Odoi, Werner, and Ziyech. This game is one-way traffic. Early in the game, Hudson-Odoi misses a chance. And United hang in. This was not much different than what we've seen. Sorry, this is not true. This was much different from what we've seen from United. Um, it seemed the appointment of Ralph Ragnick has lit a fire under the team. And they put in what I can say is a spirited performance. This is what United fans had wanted to see. They basically played like Burnley. Um, Carrick tried to instill some level of running 
So it was both Rashford and Sancho p- trying to push the Chelsea wingbacks back. It didn't really work. There was some pressing, but Chelsea got through the press pretty easily. But I will say that United fought hard, dug deep. Uh, Lindelof was good. United um, took three shots. Three shots. Two on target. Uh, Three shots. One in the first half. Two in the second. Um, One of those was a goal. Uh, A mistake, really, by, by, um, by Jorginho, who essentially let a ball drop. Now, to be fair to United, they did charge him down, and they did get their just rewards for capitalizing a mistake. Jadon Sancho ran across the whole pitch, scored a goal, um, and they got the game done. I think if if you were to criticize Tuchel a little bit, maybe he waited too long to bring on Pulisic, Mount, and Lukaku, 78th minute and the 82nd minute, uh, uh, um, there, Cristiano came on in the, or late in the second half, and coincidentally was on the pitch when Jorginho scored, when Chelsea scored their only goal on a penalty, and it kind of was Cristiano's fault a little bit. No, it wasn't. Uh, but United can take this game and say we got the draw, we got the win in midweek, we held Chelsea-ish. Uh, Chelsea have the same are in the same vein now in the way that you that city get they don't give up much they play the ball well they snuff things out but if they don't if they're not clinical and don't get their goals they can be beaten or have a draw happen to them this is what happens to city all the time i think chelsea when they don't have lukaku have the same problem but a good result for united they now get through and have ralph ragnick appointed officially as i said in friday's show this is a massive deal i think the only thing that stops united from really kicking on here is how much the united brass of uh the glazers let ragnick do his thing if they commit to ragnick totally so this is giving the keys to manchester united to this footballing genius and organizer who basically took two expansion franchises, for lack of a better word, in in um, Red Bull Salzburg and Red Bull Leipzig, and built them from a the ground up. Took German coaching from the nadir of the early loss in the in the World Cup in two thousand two, and completely rebuilds it. Teaches and rewrites all coaching manuals in Germany. This is a guy who builds things and makes a project. He signed for six months, which I think is to really just get United into order. And then he's on for a two-year contract as a consultant. We don't know what that means, but I'm afraid. Ragnick is the real fucking deal. This is like, I don't, this is like getting Cruyff. So, if for those of you who don't know, Johan Cruyff, one of the most famous players of all time, but also one of the great coaches of all time. So, he's the philosophical creator of modern Barcelona. He becomes the coach. Now, what makes Ragnick and Cruyff different is that Ragnick does not have the stature as a player of Cruyff. Cruyff 
was a thinker and a historical legend, whereas Ragnik is just the professor. So he's more Bielsa in that regard. Bielsa being the other sort of iconoclastic coach who never really won anything but is a builder. So I think it's it's a Cruyff thing in that Cruyff takes Barcelona and rebuilds it in his image, then goes upstairs and stays on the board and continues to shape Barcelona in his image such that Barcelona have a historical way to play from now on. So Cruyff comes into Barcelona in like 1990. They win three or four straight um La Liga's win the Champions League. They have the, the dream team. Kuman is on that team. And uh, Pep Guardiola and Stoichkov, that's that team. He then sort of moves on and and chain, and and works with the Masia of creating players. And he is the foundation by which modern Barcelona are built. Rangnick has done the same thing at Leipzig and Hoffenheim in Germany and has spread the gospel of pressing, counter-pressing, what has become essentially German football, counter-attack, athletic, young players running hard at all times. And, and it shows up in the stats. Germany is the highest scoring, most pressing league in the world. It has the youngest players. They figure this out. They've, they, they have figured out athleticism. It's not a coincidence that American players are going to Germany because Americans are more athletic than Europeans in general. That's a generalization. I'm just saying. So, so Rangnick, if he's given the keys to Manchester United, could completely change its trajectory. And a well-run Man United is petrifying because Manchester United are the highest revenue generating team in the world. They don't have owners that have the most money, but the team itself makes more money than any team in the world. There's a reason why they are where they are. You know, you've got your Chelsea's and your cities who are growing slowly but surely, but United has the pedigree. If if there is a concept of the legacy clubs, so the legacy clubs being Real Madrid, Barcelona, Arsenal, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, Juventus, Inter, AC Milan, the historic Liverpool the historical power clubs of football, Spurs, I guess, if you want to include English teams, that are not owned by sovereign wealth funds or ill-begotten oil money, whatever. I don't, I don't judge that. That's fine. Man United are the most powerful of that group. And Ragnick being at the helm of that is a scary proposition if he is allowed to do his job. And that is a big if. So there's a lot of if, ands, or buts. It's exciting um, just from a neutral perspective. As a City fan, it's petrifying. But we could have something exciting in our hands. So keep an eye on Man United. Learn about Ralph Ragnick. He's all over YouTube. Fascinating guy. I like the idea of a technocrat. It's something that we all feel good about because... We can become what a Ralph Ragnick is through hard work and learning and thinking outside the box. It's it's kind of one of the reasons why people really love Steph Curry and people don't like Shaquille O'Neal or something like that. These these players and these archetype sports people who you feel like you could be if you just worked hard enough. 
So Ragnick is one of those for me. So I'm excited for him. I didn't think it could happen, but it has. And here we are. Here we are. But let's get to some of the other games. Um, exciting stuff for United and Ragnick. Uh, I, I do want to talk uh, throughout the game. We covered the game. Uh, game number two, my beloved Manchester City take on another good opponent in um, in West Ham who come to the Etihad. And I think David Moyes' problems come up again. He never seems to be able to beat big teams, even with Everton. He's got a terrible record against those above him. Uh, West Ham simply can't hang with City. City are so well drilled. I think watching the game with the snow, it's worth watching the first half especially. It's so snowy, you can't see anything. Uh, City score their goal uh, on a shot by uh, Gabriel Jesus that Gundogan puts in after a couple deflections. That's not important. It's a scruffy goal, but City just play that same consistent methodical style. If you don't watch City regularly, you may think that it's some magic. But let me tell you, as someone who's watched every single City game for the last, I don't think I've missed a game in five, oh man, more than that, in eight years, the, especially the six under, sorry, especially the six under Guardiola, they're so predictable. Even at this point, I know where the passes are. I know where they're going to go. It's so clear, the patterns of play. And with the snow on the pitch, and for some reason, City being able to play with the snow on the pitch, I thought that was interesting. Didn't really affect them. You could see the triangles from the ball in the snow going between you know, the wingers, between Raheem uh, Sterling, um, Rodri, and say, uh, uh, Raheem, Rodri, and Kyle Walker. In those corners, you could see the triangles being formed. The passes are so precise. They're so clear. It's as though, and uh, I think Robbie Musto said it in commentary, it's as though they could play blindfolded. That's how precise City are. And they just passed around the first half. West Ham did nothing. Second half, City took their foot off the gas just a little bit. Uh, I think it's normal. City now have the ability in their play to see games out in a defensive manner. So they hang in there, get their goal in the 33rd minute, really hang on until the end of the game when um, Fernandinho comes on late, comes on after a while, hasn't been playing much at all. Old man Fernandinho comes on for Sterling, and within three minutes he scores a goal at the edge of the box. But City were willing to see it out. I mean, seeing Fernandinho come on the pitch means City are willing to see it out. They get their goal. They're, they're closing in on a clean sheet. Um, Lanzini comes on. With, along with in the second half, Moyes really went for it. He brings on Lanzini, Kufal, and Bowen. Cresswell had gotten hurt, and Bowen uh, managed things. And City were seeing it out pretty well, no problem. But then um, Lanzini scored in the 91st minute. A shame because uh, Ederson was about to get his 100th clean sheet. And, you know, what a game that wasn't as close as the final score so suggests. City wins 2 1. They keep the pressure on. And this team is just rolling. Um, I will lament, and I do bring this up often. City just, they lack drama. Um, you know from listening to the podcast how often we talk about Manchester United and what a shit show they are and how often we've talked about Ole and how often we've talked about 
you know, this team or this exciting new team, Brentford coming up or, or Leeds the year before, or how much we love Aston Villa, you know, uh, Mike is in a constant state of turmoil talking about Spurs and, and Mourinho's out and Mourinho's in and Nuno, Nuno knows, but now Nuno's fired and what's going to happen with Harry Kane and this and that, all that drama on all the other teams while City plod along methodically, precise, robotically, without a care in the world, continue to just annihilate teams with the same patterns of play. You know what they're going to do. You know where they're going to be, but you simply can't stop them. They are only to be enjoyed and admired from afar because if they're not your team, you just got to be kind of like, it's a foregone conclusion that City are going to win. They've, what City have at this point through their money and through their coaching, through the brilliance is they've controlled for everything they can control. The only reason they lose games is because of bad luck and bounces. Everything that can be controlled, they control. So passing, possession, getting the ball back, everything. But the percentages that cause City to lose games is the unknowns of football. A bounce here, a set piece there, uh, a, a blown assignment. And they have no strong personalities. So I'm envious of other teams. It's why I have my affair with Brighton, who we'll get to. Uh, and I think about, you know, there's no weird dances for City. We just go, play, win. Then the only thing I have to talk about is the games. So it's kind of a drag, but I love my team playing well. And I know that when the time comes and Pep Guardiola isn't there, it's going to suck because we're going to be like all the other teams again. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Liverpool crush and cruise against Southampton 4-0. I didn't watch this, but Liverpool are similar to City, but do it more in a reflective manner of Jurgen Klopp. So where City play a style reflective of Pep Guardiola in that it's controlling, it's nervous, it's maniacal, it's perfect. Liverpool play in the style of Jurgen Klopp. Passionate, speed, pace, but the results are the same. So uh, Liverpool cruise against um, Southampton. Southampton are weirdly a team I like, but they do tend to be on the ends of hidings and get blown out whenever Ralph Hasenhutl's in town. The big thing for me is that Diego Jota has completely taken control over the nine spot. Uh, I'd be surprised if we see Firmino on a regular basis anymore. He scored the first two goals, goal in the second minute, goal in the 32nd minute, Alcantara, uh, Thiago with another goal flying off the ball, and then uh, Virgil van Dijk put one through. And they just, at this point, Liverpool are the best team in the country. Uh, I, in my opinion, they're better than City. Their one to eleven is better than City. Their depth is not, and the Anfield advantage that they have, being at home, is the envy that I have. Uh, Anfield, the stadium that Liverpool play in, in Liverpool, is loud. Is a twelfth man. You get essentially the crowd of a promoted team for a team that's going for the league every year. 
And so uh, Anfield simply is an advantage that that um, City never have. And so when City go or other t- opponents go to play Liverpool, they have to overcome that home game that uh, Liverpool have. And that's what gives them the advantage. They're equal footing with City in a neutral ground, maybe worse because they don't have the depth. But when they go to Anfield, they're unstoppable. And um, that's what's so scary about them. But again, depth is an issue. They still have to play those 11 guys. They replaced one in in Firmino, but they're really reliant on Salah, Jota, and Mane. Uh, The African Cup of Nations coming up. Hopefully, COVID doesn't shut it down, but scary stuff. I do consider Liverpool the best team in the country. I don't care what anyone says. They had a little blip, and it seems to be going away. Uh, They can score more than anyone at all. Crazy. Uh, And then we go on to the Arsenal, who someone on this podcast predicted would finish in the top four. They're actually in the top four right now. They sit fifth uh, behind on goal difference. They get two goals from their two youngsters, Saka and Martinelli. Martinelli's goal is incredible. Newcastle are in trouble. Um, They sit bottom of the table. They have their new coach. They have not made any movement on their director of football or all the backroom stuff. So Newcastle don't have the structure to take advantage yet of their new wealthy owners. And all they have is Eddie Howe, but the same team. Eddie Howe is hardly a firefighting guy you bring in to save you from relegation. So I'm worried for them. Arsenal beat the fuck out of Newcastle again. I think it's 17 in a row that they've beat Newcastle. Um, with like seven or eight or nine clean sheets, really bad. The thing with Arsenal, and I've been saying this, is they of the rest. So there's the top three, City, Liverpool, Chelsea. Then there's United, who should be the top four. And then there's everyone else. There's a group in the middle that's really, really packed in together. So I would call the middle group here... um, from art from West Ham from fourth to almost 15th is a well let's see there's a nine there's there's like six point difference they're all bunching together so from seventh at with with so so from six with wolves to Everton in 14th is five points. So two wins on the bounce, a couple losses, and the whole thing tightens up again. So there's a giant mid-table, and that fourth spot at West Ham with 23 points is up for grabs. It was expected that United would be there, but they're just not pulling their weight. So Arsenal sit right now in fifth, uh, behind on goal difference from West Ham because of their really bad start to the season where they went. Uh, 0-3 and got the doors blown off them. Uh, Arsenal basically are can beat anyone below them and lose to everyone above them. So they lost to Chelsea really badly. They lost to City 5-0, Chelsea 2-0, uh, 5-0, and Liverpool 4-0. So when they come up against anyone of any ilk, they get smoked. <laughs> uh, their best win, I'd say, is probably the Tottenham win. 
that's probably their best win. They did beat Leicester, which was good. Uh, but they're 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 good in defense. Aside from the Liverpool game, they had been on three or f- they've they've had clean sheets in four of their last five games, which means that they their defense is pretty tight. Ramsdale has made a difference, and like I said before, Arsenal are the youngest team in the league, sitting in fifth. They are the team that can improve the most out of all the teams near them. And I think Arteta has them going in the right direction. I don't expect them to beat City, Chelsea, or Liverpool, but there's no reason they can't beat Brighton's and Crystal Palace's and Brentford's and everyone else. They're they're right there. It's a mentality thing for them, and they sit in fifth right now. Arteta's got to be feeling good. I felt good about them to start the season because I believed in their defense, which is which was a top three defense at the time, and it's still hanging in there as a decent defense. Arsenal sit, well, actually, not this season. They sit, uh, their defense is actually pretty bad, but it's mostly on the on the back of those really bad results. But they are right there with a great, in a great position, have to sort of hang in there, not get beat too bad when they play against the big boys, but otherwise they should be able to hang in there. I did have one more other point on Liverpool. Liverpool now have three of the top four goal scorers in the league. So Jota, Firmino, and Mane are in the top. They are on pace to score more goals than anyone in a really long time. They've gone 10 straight games with two goals or more. This is a really good uh, Liverpool team. And this is me hedging and being afraid. City are now a defensive team uh, rather than an offensive team the way they had been. The days of them scoring 100 goals are gone, but I expect that Liverpool will score 100 goals. So Liverpool... Best team, Arsenal, doing well. Newcastle in trouble. Not sure what's going to happen there. Um, Leicester get their win against Watford. I didn't watch this, but I do like Watford a lot. Uh, Not so interested in this game. Um, I would like to talk about the Villa game, which I did watch. I was more interested in my boys uh, against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace did not play well in this game. This was not a game where Crystal Palace showed what they had been doing. Gallagher wasn't able to do anything. It was a lot of Elise. Uh, Eze was able to come on. I liked that Vieira did try and go for the win, but late in the game, Villa uh, hit hit on the counterattack and was able to um, get the second goal, especially uh, late in the game. That always matters to get that second goal. Just looking for the for the box score to make sure I know who scored the goals. That's right. Matt Target scored a goal early. McGinn got one on 86, and uh, Mark Gahey's pulled one back for Villa late in the 95th minute. Um, So a good win for Aston Villa. Gerard is putting his stamp on the team. This team is fighting for him. This team is playing defense for him. Gerard has stamped this team, and it's good. It's another good coach with a good team. I really... I like what Vieira's done at Crystal Palace. When we get down to some of the to the next game, talking about um, Dean Smith and Norwich, the Premier League right now has so many good teams that it's kind of a shame that teams have to go down. Um, there's really likable teams with good uh, coaches who play in interesting styles. Like I'd hate to see a, a, a Palace or a Villa go down. Um, Palace are really good. Uh, they they dropped their first game at home in a while. 
Gallagher wasn't able to affect the game. I did not like that um, Zaha didn't get on the ball much, uh, but Villa were really tight and strong. Looks like that Gerard has gotten a combo playing really well. We didn't see much from Leon Bailey, but Jacob Ramsey was great in this game. Uh, and it looks like Villa are back to where we expected them under Dean Smith. Maybe they just needed a new voice and we'll we'll get to we'll get to um we'll get to, we'll go straight to Dean Smith getting a draw against Wolves after Wolves had this great moment where we thought they were going to go up the table Bruno Large's Wolves draw away at Norwich which is crazy because Wolves are really good and all of a sudden they can't muster anything against Norwich um again lots of good teams lots of new voices and new places I would have liked to have seen I would have liked to have had a lot of these teams stay up but uh, Norwich created more of the chances in this game for the first time ever I think um, Norwich did only gave up five shots this is a team that was the worst defensive team in the league and it looks like Dean Smith has got this team defending has got the team fighting uh, we're seeing finally Billy G Billy Gilmore, who was on loan, back in the side. Very exciting for Chelsea fans who now have another one of their Chelsea army out there in the world, just like um, just like Gallagher. But um, Wolves did not create much at all. Jimenez had two shots, a couple of pot shots here and there, but uh, nothing at all. I think we've seen Adama Traore seems to have disappeared a bit not playing as much as he had been uh, especially lately been coming off the bench only seven full games his minutes have gone down don't know what that means uh, maybe that's caused a problem within the wolves camp it looks like uh huang chan has taken over his spot so interesting to see what happens there bruno large again the table is very compact uh, we had a look at that Wolves on 20, but Everton in 14th on 15. Uh, Everton lost to Brentford, and the Boo Birds are out for Rafa. So this is another one of these moments where Everton have a very rich owner, Mashuri, I think his name is, but from listening to a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of uh, fan things around Everton, they are also in a poorly run situation. So uh, Everton are kind of in the United vein. They're in the Newcastle vein where someone rich owns a team, but the structure of how decisions are made isn't working. Uh, they spent over half a billion dollars since 2016 on players, and Everton are really no better than Brentford, who just came up. And we've talked a million hours about Brentford and their... Um, to, and their owner, Benham, who is a professional gambler. They are a money ball team, whatever that means. Whatever that means to you, they are a Daniel Analytics team that integrated from top to bottom throughout the team. They have a B-side. Players can go up and down between the team, and you can see Brentford has a way to play. They have a coach that makes sense. Uh, they get a goal on a penalty for um, for Ivan Tony, but... They, they dominated this game. Um, 
uh, or sat back and, and held on to their win. Good clean sheet for uh, Brentford. A lot of long balls, only 67% possession. So Brentford just got their goal, shut it down, tried to make sure it was tough, got their win at home. So they're back off the schneid. Everton have lost, I think, are on a winless streak of seven games. Rafa is definitely under pressure for that one. So we'll see what happens there. I'd hate to see Rafa go. Again, Premier League sucking in the best coaches. Rafa is one of those. If you look through all the all the Champions League coach winning coaches, the only one who's not in the Premier League is Zinedine Zidane. Ancelotti and, and Mourinho are both in uh both floating around, but there's all the best coaches are in the Premier League. It's pretty pretty exciting stuff. And then lastly, I have to talk about my uh my love affair with uh with um Brighton and Leeds. This is my love fest. This was a classic, classic Potter's Lee Potter's uh Brighton. Dominated the ball. Even had a miss by Mope. Open goal. Completely missed. Trussard bossing the game. Leads all over the place. Still unable to find a way through to score goals without Bamford. But they don't even look the same. They're not running as hard. They're not pressing as much. They seem to look like a championship side that have a side, have a way to play. But they don't have an extra gear. If... If Bielsa wasn't the coach and they were having this run of form, he'd be fired. But because the Leeds fans and the Leeds has such a passion for Leeds, they won't touch him. But uh, there was a little bit of controversy with this game in that, and I felt it too, at full time, at home, the Brighton fans booed and Graham Potter got super fucking pissed off. He's like, I don't know when Brighton was in eighth place in the premier league, but booing is weird. And I will speak for the Brighton fans. Maybe Potter thought that he was being booed, but it's not that he's being booed. It's that the booing comes from the, expectation that Brighton should be better. They play attacking football. They play possession football. They play breathless football. And if you watch them on a regular basis like I do, you expect them to score goals. And they never fucking score goals. It's infuriating. You lose your mind. You just watch Mope miss chance after chance. Or the post gets hit time after time after time. And you just get so frustrated dominating a game and not able to score. So I think the Brentford, the, the Brighton fans freezing their asses off were just like, what the fuck? Can someone please buy a striker? Please. I have one for you, Brighton. Let me look at the camera. Go find Liam Delap. He's in the City Academy. He has been hurt. Last season, he set the record for goals scored in the Premier League level two for EDS squad. Please, I just want to see him play regularly, and I especially want to see him play for Brighton. 
Another idea, try to get Rian Brewster from Sheffield Wednesday, from Sheffield United. He was supposed to be great. They spent a lot of they spent a lot of money on him. He's a good goal scorer. Try and get him. The players are out there, Brighton. Go get them. For Leeds, they got to get healthy. They've got to get moving again or find a new way to play. I don't expect Bielsa to change things, but they do need to move forward. I know that I have not been betting lately. Uh, that's something that takes a minute for me. But I do want to say this show's coming out, and today there'll be games on. So let's go through some of the games. So get your freaking DVR going. Get your time with Rebecca Lowe going. We have now entered the frenzied period of the Premier League. So we have games on the following days. You ready? We have games tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. We have games on Saturday. So that's the 30th, the 1st, the 2nd, the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, the 10th, and the 11th. Games are going to come flying in fast and furious. So there's games on the 12th, 11th, and 10th, 11th, and 12th. That's a regular weekend. Then midweek games on the 12th, the 15th, and the 16th. Then the weekend games. We are going to be running through games like crazy all the way through till January 3rd. There's basically a game every three days for some teams, and then there's a little bit of a break. So we're going to breathlessly be covering it, and it's going to be amazing. So tomorrow, 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 we have a six-pointer. This is the game that Eddie Howe must, must, must win. Two must-win games tomorrow. Newcastle versus Norwich at Newcastle. If Newcastle and Eddie Howe cannot win this game, they are going down. That's literally how important this game is. If Newcastle, if Norwich win this game, they pull out. They get a little bit of momentum. Dean Smith is unbeaten in four. This is a big game. We're going to see what happens. At the same time, no, actually, few, 45 minutes after that. So we're going to have two games kind of going on at the same time. Leeds play Crystal Palace at Ellen Road. I would expect that the athleticism of Crystal Palace and the fight of Gallagher will push Leeds, will push Palace through this game, but this is a game Leeds should try and target, try and win. Then, on Wednesday, oh my God, on Wednesday, the tw the 1st of December, we have West Ham versus Brighton, Wolves versus Burnley, Watford versus Chelsea, Southampton versus Leicester City. <gasps> is that the 9-0 game? And my beloved city play Aston Villa. And then, to cap it off, we have the Merseyside Derby. Everton could not have this game come at a worse time. Uh, I expect Liverpool to blow the doors off Everton. And then on Thursday, we have Tottenham versus Brentford and United versus Arsenal to kick it off. There's so much football going on. Holy shit. Mike, where are you? I need you, brother. Um, so we have all those games going on. Uh, I will pick out my faves to keep everyone's uh, brain on. I would definitely watch tomorrow if you can grab a little lunchtime football. I would grab Leeds Crystal Palace. That should be a barn burner. I would avoid Newcastle versus Norwich. That's going to be ugh. And then on Wednesday, 
Aston Villa Man City is a good game, but Everton Liverpool is a must watch. Merseyside derbies are must watch. I expect Everton will sit deep. Rafa Benitez versus Liverpool. Lots of narrative in Everton versus Liverpool. And then Thursday, we have to watch uh, Manchester United versus Arsenal. If things are going to, f- to, to, to form and Arsenal are not quite there yet, you'd expect Arsenal and their young players to be victims of the moment and have a hard time versus United. Uh, it's unclear whether Ragnick will be in charge of this game. He just signed uh, his contract with United. I don't think he'll be on the sideline. But that should be an interesting game. We should be able to cover it on Thursday's pod, so we'll know more then. But my expectation is that United pull this game out. Uh, the youth of Arsenal having to play against Cristiano is enough to um, go crazy. But to be at Man United, at Old Trafford, late night game, the whole world watching, that's going to be tough for the youth of of Arsenal. Hopefully Arteta can can get it through to them, but I'm not sure. And then I would think the Tottenham game versus Brentford, if Mike was here, he'd be afraid. But with Conte, with the time off after the snow game, maybe he'll have Tottenham ready to play Brentford. It is at home. We'll see. It's another London derby. I don't think Spurs have had a good uh, run in London derbies this season. So we'll see what happens there. Um, And that is the show. I did have one thing. And I wonder what everyone thinks about this. I'll bring it up with Mike. It involves Cristiano Ronaldo and whether he's so big that he hampers his team just by virtue of his being there. I should have brought it up earlier, but I just remembered it. Anyway, let's wrap it up. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with not Mike Salerno and Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show so we can have more fans. We've been sputtering. We need your help. And Mike, I need you, baby. Come back to me.